This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. I want to say thanks for uh, being one of the local radio stations that's been brutally honest, but you guys have been in it from the ground floor, which is great. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. All right, Timberwolves. Millsap gets it in. Jokic has it knocked away. Yep, that was fun. That was fun last night. That was, uh, I think, for all of, for, between Tibbs and Taj and Jimmy and uh, and the rope pulling that they've done all year, 48 minutes, toughness, and all the things that, that they've been saying for the last five or six months, you got it all last night, and, uh, and the Wolves win it in overtime. Jim Peterson... That was a fun broadcast, I'm sure, for you. I thought uh, I thought you guys did an awesome job, national audience and NBA TV. The floor is yours, man. 14 years, you've called a lot of non-playoff basketball, and uh, now you get to uh, get back in the saddle after a decade and a half. Yeah, you know, I just I can't tell you how thrilling it, it was to have uh, have Timberwolves fans who have been great um, for so long. You know, just suffering with this team and and still coming out and that energy in the building last night was. I think you could feel it through the TV. I've had a bunch of people tell me that they could feel the energy from the building through the TV, like it was palpable. Yes. And um, it was um, – and hopefully Ben's and I brought energy too because, you know, I'm a fan. You know, I think it, it kind of comes across because I can't really help myself because um, I'm a fan. I want the Timberwolves to – I'm definitely a partisan, but I, I just can't say enough about how, uh, how much I just appreciated watching Denver play. I mean, watching Jokic and Jamal Murray and – uh, Paul Millsap and Will Barton. I mean, the way they all battled, Gary Harris. You know, it was just a, it was a fantastic basketball game. It lived up to the hype, and I'm just glad that Minnesota made plays at the end to, to have our fan base have a little bit of celebrating because it's been a long time. Hey Jim, how confident were you going into that game? So when I was not, when it I was not. I was not. You know what, Judd? I, I wasn't confident. Um, um, because Denver was playing so well, they had, you know they some teams just seem like a team of destiny. Mm-hmm. And I watched, um, you know, they were on a six-game winning streak, and game one of that streak was a game at Oklahoma City that I watched because we were getting ready to play Denver. So I watched that entire game. Then I watched the game they play at home against Milwaukee, and Milwaukee had an 18-point lead or whatever in the fourth quarter. They had no business beating the Milwaukee Bucks. Any of these losses would have, you know, kicked them out of the playoffs, right? And so they just looked like a team of destiny. Then they beat us when we came through Pepsi Center. We lose to Memphis. Um, we lost to Denver. Um, I, you know, Denver was just playing well. They just were playing really well. Jokic was playing out of his mind. Jamal Murray, we just had a difficult time containing guys like him. And then, um, I, you know, we just we just were not playing at optimal level. But then getting Jimmy Butler back, I just didn't know how we would play at that point. Would Jimmy be able to have the you know the stamina to play the kind of minutes that Tibbs want him to play? Um, and then 
offensively, how are we going to operate? Are we going to go back to you know Jimmy controlling the basketball and, and end of game situation, run angle screens and and live or die with whatever Jimmy Butler does versus playing more of a team concept? I just didn't know what was going to happen. And you know, to Tips' credit, he kind of spread the ball. He, he put the ball more in Chief's hands. Uh, he wasn't he wasn't letting Jimmy Butler kind of dominate the game in terms of uh, having the ball in his hands all the time, which I thought was good. Um, he was trying to get matchups more than he was, you know. Um, getting Jimmy off uh, in, in those situations, so I don't know. I just I, I didn't have I, I I wanted us to win, but I just felt like Denver was playing better, yeah. and I just was hopeful, you know. Yeah, J- Jim, do you uh, watching KG in his prime and in the eight year playoff run, and just watching his career? Uh, I mean, he's going to go down as one of the the greatest players of all time. Jimmy Butler is not on that level, but it seems like those two guys are cut from a very similar uh, cloth. Is that fair to say? Um, yeah, I think that there's um, there's a lot. Kevin Garnett is one of the most complex personalities I've ever been around, um, and I I think you both know what I mean by that for sure. Because um, he was a tough guy to deal with a lot of times, but then you know as 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 surly and mean as he could be, he would turn around and be the sweetest guy in the greatest interview and be an amazing personality to be around. Um, Jimmy's a little more good-natured overall, and I think Jimmy uh, plays the game a little bit with the media more, where KG would, would play and then he wouldn't play. So I think from a, from a just a, a dealing with a day-to-day standpoint, I think Jimmy's easier to deal with. But in terms of winning, in terms of what they do on the court, in terms of the, the just grit and grind and the, and the desire to win, they're, they're definitely kind of the same cloth. I mean, Jimmy just um, – and, and – and, the first and foremost part of it, though, guys, is that uh, the way they play hard and, and the way that they kind of communicate that to their teammates. Uh, leading by example, Jimmy Butler leads it. I mean, what, what did Jimmy do? I mean, like Butler had, he played 41-46 last night. Mm-hmm. He was 10 of 21. He shot 13 free throws. He had 31 points in the game, five assists, five rebounds. I mean, and he'd been out for, you know, six weeks. So, I mean, that just shows you how much this guy was, was ready to lay it on the line for his team. So, Jim, after all this time now, who, when when th- that game went final last night, who are, are you happiest for? Me. Because I never <laughs> said I was basketball, bad basketball. Yeah. Hanny. These, these, these guys are Johnny-come-latelys. You know how many times I had a game prep for, like, because I just knew, I, like, I was going to work harder prepping for my game that night than the players were, you know, getting ready for, to play that game. So, Alan Horton and I, we, how many times we've, like, looked at each other and go, we prepped harder for our game, getting ready for the game, than the play Because, like, you know, we see the players, they're going, you know, six, seven, eight years ago, the players were going out, you know, they, they weren't focused on the game. Um, that's why this group is. Di- I mean, this group of guys is different. These guys, these guys really wanted to win, and they, they, I think, for the most part, are really super locked in. But I'm, I'm happy for, for the fan base. I'm happy for. I don't know. I mean, just. I mean, Carl, they all want it. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, they, it's, it's hard to pick any one person. You know, I'm happy for Jeff Munichy. You know, I'm happy for Timberwolves employees that have sat there and grinded it out. I'm happy for you know Glenn Taylor, who's who's played, put so much money and tried to do the right thing, and um, it hasn't always worked out for him. And God bless him and, and his wife Becky, who sit there courtside every game. Um, so I mean, there's a lot of people to be happy for, but um, I'm just happy for our fans that they get to experience this again. Yeah. 
For and sure. then, isn't it interesting, too, that the first playoff series that they played in, they played against the Houston Rockets, yeah. and here we are rekindling our playoff runs again, and it's going to be against the Houston Rockets. Yeah. So. It's interesting it's bookends, and uh, I mean, I think... I would say this about this upcoming series, and you, you tell me if I'm off here. Like, there's a lot of things to nitpick here with the Wolves, and obviously, if they would have lost the game last night, we would have been nitpicking those things. Today's a day of celebration. Uh, it was a grinding path to get there. But when you have, if Jimmy Butler is healthy and Jimmy Butler is playing 35, 40 minutes like he did last night, and you got Carl Anthony Towns, th- those are two of the top 12 or 15 players in the NBA. You can put up a fight against any team in the NBA when you have. Top heavy, amazing players like that. I don't think they beat the Rockets, Jim Pete. But if you play the way you did last night, and you do that in every game that you play Houston, um, maybe you can put a scare into them for a couple games. Like what? It's it's so early to to even talk about what to expect in this series because we should just enjoy what happened last night. But as you look ahead, what do you kind of see? Well, you know, we didn't play Houston well during the season. We lost by eighteen three times. Yeah, and we lost by nine the last time we played them um, on March 18th. So we had to play them, you know, a lot relatively um, in a very relatively short period of time. We played them on February 13th, February 23rd, March 18th. So that's three games in a very short period of time. And, um, you know, Butler got hurt in that uh, that February 23rd game. Um, but the, the thing I say is that, you know, we, it's all about math when you're playing against the Houston Rockets, because they averaged, averaged 17.3 three-point makes per game against us. And we, and we, and we made, you know, eight, eight a game. So they made more than double three-point shots uh, in that series against us in four games. So, I mean, you know, that's, that's the reality. And, and you know, the thing about it is that Mike D'Antoni, um, when you talk to, you know, the Houston people, D'Antoni says, you know, it doesn't matter what pick-and-roll coverage you run. We have the answer to it. And when you have the kind of talent, they've never had this kind of talent uh, in this on their Houston team. Uh, Harden has always been kind of hamstrung by the fact that, yeah, they were good offensively, but they couldn't defend anybody. And now, um, you know, one, one thing that does help Minnesota is that Bob Mute is probably going to be out for I don't know how long, but um, he's, he's not going to be there for the whole series. And that switching concept that they can play defensively now, they're better defensively. And that's why they can play with the Golden State Warriors, I think. <clears throat> a fully constituted Golden State Warriors team, I think Houston can beat them. Hmm. Um, so it, it's, can you defend a three-point shot? You know, can you come up with some defenses that can maybe disrupt James Harden? Because Harden, you know, the, that is the one um, sort of uh, knock against James Harden. You can you can pick his game apart. It's hard to offensively. You could always kind of say he's been a bad defender, but what he's not been is clutch in the playoffs. So, you know, can you trap Harden? Can you disrupt Harden? That's going to be the question. That's what Tom Thibodeau is going to have to kind of hatch a plan to try to do that. Yeah. Your thoughts on a series that is going to go uh, Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday, Monday. I mean, it's I, I, I get that, that this has been – uh, Jim beat the, the f- format for a while, but it would, I would guess, as a player, it's got to be a little bit annoying that, that you can't get into a r- rhythm now with the way that, because of TV, I'm sure these playoff uh, series are now staggered. Yeah, it's, um, it's not optimal. Um, you know, I think that players kind of welcome uh, the time off to be able to re- you know, rejuvenate and get healthy because everybody's kind of banged up right now. Um, it's a it's a long NBA season, and, and um, you know Towns and Wiggins. I mean, how durable have they been? 
in their career. Um, so on the one hand, you know, you're kind of happy to get the time off, but there is a rhythm. That's exactly the right word, Judd, is, is, is rhythm. And, um, you know, TV, TV schedules do disrupt rhythm, but um, and for a young team that hasn't been there, I shouldn't say young because we've got a lot of veteran players who yeah. haven't been there. Um, actually, that's, and we need to stop saying that because we don't – because even Towns and Wiggins aren't that young anymore. I mean, they, they've been around. So it's just about, you know, you, you've got a coaching staff that's been there. They, they just need to, to tell these players what to expect and then have to try to execute the best they can. Yeah. Uh, last thing for you, as uh, as we look ahead here, Houston Rockets, Timberwolves start, like Judd just said, this weekend. Um, what is your, like, what, what was your, like, lowest point mentally or as a broadcaster in the last 14 or 15 years? Was there, like, a season or a game where you sat there <laughs> thinking, what the hell am I doing and watching and like this is never going to end? Yeah, um, the David Kahn years, um, the, uh, the the two Rambus years were probably the low point for me. Um, you know, I didn't know, um, you know, because there had been a lot of things that happened. You know, when um, when I first joined the team, um, really soon into my tenure as the radio analyst with Chad Hartman, um, um, Stefan Marbury decided he wanted to get out. And um, I'll never forget when he... Um, when he we got traded and Sam Mitchell as a player, you know, gunning basketballs up into the stands at the uh, Coliseum in Oakland, because um, we all kind of knew what what happened in that moment. And you know, it's things like that you remember. You go, what if? You know, what what if Steph and KG would have stayed together? Um, that was a you know, looking back, that was kind of a low point because you, 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 it was it was kind of sad. And when KG was traded. Um, that was difficult, but those, those two Rambus years with David Kahn kind of miscalculating on drafts, draft choices. And, that's a good and, way to put um, it. Yeah. That's very kind of you, Jim. Miscalculating is a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Screwing up might be another phrase, but <laughs> those, those were the two years that were the, the most difficult for me. That's for sure. Right on. Well, again, we enjoyed yeah. you on the broadcast as always. And uh, looking forward to some, uh, Dave Ben's Jim Pete playoff games coming up here. Thanks. Thanks, Phil. I appreciate it, man. Thanks, Jim. Yeah. Pre- Thanks. Okay, buddy. All right. All right. Bye bye. Jim Peterson. Jim Pete Hoops. Oh, Twitter. he's so good. Yeah, he's awesome. Uh, man, I'm looking at some of these, some of these rosters. Oh, so, oh. Did let's he, okay. Let's we got to break here. Quickly. Miscalculation. That was that. To find that word to yeah. describe the David Conyers is as kind as a human being can be. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. Roy Smalley coming up to in about 15 minutes. Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd are back. Audio level four. It's go time on 1500 ESPN. All right, Timberwolves. Millsap gets it in. Jokic has it knocked away. What a defensive play. And Taz Gibson has been the glue guy all season long for the Timberwolves. Delivers yet again. That was a great play. It was. That was fantastic play. For him to knock the ball loose and then also maintain possession and, and the call timeout. timeout. And call the timeout, yes. And then, of course, out of the timeout, instead of Skyping in Brad Stevens to draw something up for you, they drew up a 38-foot jumper by Jamal play? Crawford. Because Jamal Crawford got that ball, and they drew the play up. But it, I, if I recall correctly, he was falling away, so he he wasn't even going towards the basket on that. Yeah, I don't, I'd have to go back and look to see what, if, what, what the other 
what the other players were doing, what the action was. But even like Jim Pete on the broadcast was like, "What? That can't be the look that they were clearly no, they weren't driving that look yeah. up." That was super weird. Yes. Um, I have just gone into a rabbit hole here of Timberwolves teams during the dark ages. 14 years, no playoffs, and I'm in the middle of it right here. 2008 Timberwolves. This is after Kevin Garnett. Al Jefferson was the best player on the team, 21-11. and 11. He was a good player. Al Jefferson had a good NBA career. Mm-hmm. Still in the league somewhere. I don't know. But Al Jefferson, pretty good. Randy Foy. Sebastian Telfair, Ryan Gomes, Marco Yarich, Rashad McCants, Kirk Snyder. Who? Played 27 games for the Wolves that year. A rookie, Corey Brewer. I have no recollection of Kirk Snyder whatsoever. They got 10 games out of Theo Ratliff in 2008. At least I remember him. He was a really good shot blocker for a while. Sixers, Hawks. Yes. Uh, Craig Smith, Antoine Walker's 46 games in 2008. That's right. I forgot Antoine Walker. 36% from the field. How, just jacking shots. How about the fact that Jim Pete, in, in all sincerity, told us that he and Horton were preparing more to do a broadcast than the players were preparing to play the game? And that would have been kind just of during the, the Kurt Rambis era, or maybe a little bit after that. They're all he going out. He said like out. six or seven years ago. They were all they were all going across the street to Bellinote is what they At were the doing. Time, yeah, Candy was darting across the street from uh, after games or perhaps in the fourth quarter. 2009-2010. 15 and 67. Kurt Rambis, David Kahn team. Mm-hmm. Let's just let's bust this open here. Actually, you had a, you had an, uh, you had JB Bickerstaff on your assistant uh, staff. Bill Lambeer, Reggie Theus I, was on the staff. <laughs> I remember that, Bill Lambert being on that staff. That was Al Jefferson, Kevin yeah. Love. You had the the Twin Towers. Yep. Corey, although Kevin Love was told specifically, do not shoot threes early in his career. That was the, that was the first year where he started to mix in some three-pointers on a more regular basis. You had Brewer Gomes, Johnny Flynn. That was a Darko season. Ramon Sessions, who actually has, has stuck in the league for a long time. He's been in the league for like 10 years. Uh, Damian Wilkins played 80 games, 20 minutes a night. That doesn't ring a bell. Damian Wilkins. Do you remember that? Vaguely. I don't remember Very him. vaguely. Uh, Wayne Ellington. Remember him. Ryan Hollins. Yep. Sasha Pavlovich. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember Sasha's name. Oh, my yep. gosh. He was Sasha Pavlovich was on the LeBron Cleveland teams early in LeBron's career, uh, the few years before that. They also had Brian Cardinal for 29 games. Brian Cardinal? Yeah. <laughs> um, Kurt Rambis. I, all you need to know is in two years— he didn't even get to a 200 winning percentage. No, he was se- 17 and 65 in the next year. Being that bad takes work. This is a fun exorcism exercise, man. Uh, this was okay. Here's another one. This is the 17 win season. So Kevin Love by this point was very good. He was a 20 and 15 player, and uh, he was shooting threes. <laughs> All but right. Michael Beasley was your second leading scorer. Mm-hmm. Luke Ridnour, Wes Johnson was on the <laughs> team by then. Mm-hmm. Darko was still getting a ton of run. Corey Brewer still on the team. Martel Webster. Martel Webster is a. Yeah. He was like the fourth overall pick at one point. Yep. Yeah, he, yes, he was. We went through that a couple days Anthony, ago. Anthony Tolliver, Anthony Randolph, Sebastian Telfair still. Uh, Johnny Flynn still. Nikola Pekovic was new. So this roster started to form itself. Mm-hmm. Costa Kufos, who became a pretty good player for other teams. Uh, Sun, Sundiata Gaines. Sundiata Gaines. No, not ringing a bell. <laughs> Some guys. Oh, man. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's about as bad as it gets, so, man. The Kurt Rambis, David Kahn portion of the the Dark Ages. So, in, in the past thirteen years, how many incarnations of this roster have there been where we at least were fairly convinced it was going to start to turn? One, one other one, like fairly convinced. Mm-hmm. One, it was the Kevin Love Ricky Rubio teams. That's with, it with Rick. Okay, yeah. Rick, when Rick Adelman yeah. came on board, and that was yeah. that was supposed to be a playoff team, and if not for Rubio's ACL and then Kevin Love they been, yeah. punching him, I mean, uh, knuckle push-ups, then uh, they probably would have made the playoffs in one of those two years. So injuries definitely played a so role. So we, we had one legit where we thought that it might be a playoff team. In fact, you kind of wonder if they, if they had stuck with that nucleus, and maybe, like, Rick Adelman was... Definitely cashing paychecks. Like he just was. But his not... wife got sick too. Correct. And yeah, that was so. For sure. It was. It became difficult. If you had a more energetic, enthusiastic coach, and if you didn't have the injuries in those two seasons with Love and Ricky Rubio, would that have still been a nucleus that you're building around now? I mean, those guys are in their primes. So who knows? Might would that have, have been, been yeah. like what kind of what Utah? Where the maybe right. there's not a single superstar player, but you play good. Def- you play good defense. And you move yeah, the ball around. You can shoot a little bit. I don't know. All right, let's switch gears. Timberwolves playoffs, first time in 14 years. We've been all over that. Jim Pete, if you missed him, he was wonderful. You can find him at the top of hour three of our On Demand on the Mackie and Judd Show page. Roy Smalley to talk some twins with that walk-off win yesterday when we come back. Phil Mackie. He tells you things, and you're like, oh, wow, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Judd Zolgad. One of the greatest screwballs I ever met in my life, but uh, interesting fellow. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are talking twins. Now, now, with former twins great turned FSN analyst Roy Smalley. Clobbered and crushed and gone! The first walk-off this year for your Minnesota Twins. <laughs> Max Kepler, a two-home run ball game. Yes, Max, is it Maximus or Maximilian? What's his full name? Do we know? Maximilian? I do not know. Whatever. Maxim, it's Maximilian. I just found it on Baseball right. Reference. Maximilian dollars uh, a year coming up soon for him if he hits bombs like that. Roy Smalley, Fox Sports North. Uh, you can find his podcast. So Max Kepler, the biggest question is, can he hit left-handed pitching on a regular basis? But, you know, it took Justin Morneau a few years to figure that out. You know, if he keeps hitting right-handed pitching the way that he has been, I I would just be fine with that. He's been incredible so far, Roy. He's going to make an awful lot of money and be a very, very solid uh, big league player as a left-handed hitting, you know, platoon guy, uh, hitting right-handers the way he does and playing defense the way he does. Um, and the odds are that he's going to figure out those left-handers as well, well enough to uh, be an everyday, a very good everyday player. Uh, for his for his career, in my in my opinion, and you know what's interesting is, it's it's always that ultimately it's the it's it's defense that that tips the scale in favor of a guy being a platoon player or not. If he if he ends up if he hits 240 against left-handed pitching, then he's going to be an everyday player because of the way he can play the outfield. The thing, Roy, that I, I like about him too, that I at least sense uh, from hearing him after games. And watching his approach is, I don't think his confidence wanes. With Byron, you're always a little bit concerned. When when Byron's going great, it's fantastic. But if Byron goes into a slump, you can sort of see him, you know, slump a little bit. His shoulders and things like like that. My sense of Kepler is that there's a a consistent confidence that is that is um, a good thing for, for a guy who who is going to have the staying power that that he will in this league. 
it's definitely a good thing. I hope you're right about that. I, you know, Max, uh, I don't, I don't know him, you know, well, and, and but he and I and I would agree, I guess, with his body language, your observation of his body language. But I think he's a um, he's an interesting kid, and and I I don't think we really know what's going on in that uh, in that brain of his um, or in that psyche. Uh, I, I hope you're right about that because. If that's true, and and if he if he uh, maintains his confidence, uh, then he will figure out how to hit left-handers. No question. Yeah, uh, at the very least, he just seems very even keel and calm. Like he just uh, he doesn't even when he hits a walk-off home run. I mean, his his teammates are celebrating and he's happy, but he he doesn't ride a roller coaster as much as other players. And if you look at a lot of great hitters around the league. They're much more flatline, I think, than Rara. Like Carlos Gomez figured it out for a couple years, being all over the place and emotional and roller coaster. But I kind of like the fact, Roy, that Max Kepler is uh, he he's got the demeanor of a hired hitman at the plate, and I think that's going to serve him well over a six month season. Yeah, there's no there's no question. I just think that his body language and his demeanor are not necessarily tied to what he's really feeling inside. He's, he's an interesting, uh, interesting young guy. And, uh, the, uh, and he is the way you describe. And I just, I, I, I just don't know for sure yet, you know, what's, what's going on I- inside of him, but there's no question that uh, good hitters are, are the most uh, even keeled and the least, uh, the least volatile. To the point where I've talked to a lot of really good hitters in my in my day, and almost to a man, it was never it was never their fault when they made an out. It was always uh, you know the umpire made a bad call or the um, or or the pitcher made a pitch he could never make before or or will ever again. You know, so it's it was it nothing even if it even if it had to uh, be total bs they would never ever admit to uh it it uh being something wrong on their part so that's really that's really what you need to have you have to be even keeled and you have to be totally disregarding of uh of ever thinking that you're doing anything wrong at the plate hey roy uh should should morrison bunt when when the astros take their third baseman put him in left Four outfielders, and you, you could really say that they have almost five because Altuve plays a shallow right. Uh, if that was you at the plate, and you you certainly had some pop as well, uh, would would you bunt if you were being given an entire side of the field with which to work, with which there is no defensive player even remotely close? <laughs> yes, I would. Um, and, but there there's a there are a couple of caveats. The first one being what's the situation. Uh, in the game and in the inning, uh, he's not up. He, you know, the Twins didn't get him uh, to bunt. Right. Uh, but um, on the other hand, uh, leading off, nobody out. Uh, I, I, we're going to give you uh, a uh, 90 feet segment here in your quest to get four of those. Uh, and, uh, I have to. I have to think about it. Um, secondly, uh, it, it if they're going to give you that much. You can square around and bunt the ball like a sacrifice and watch it bounce three times before you ever start running, right? So, I mean, they're, they're just giving it to you. That's the mistake that these guys make in the shift. I've watched Joe Maurer do it. I've watched uh, Eddie Rosario do it. They, they're starting to run. They, they just can't help wanting to beat the ball out when they don't have to beat the ball out. They just have to square around, place the ball down, see that it's a good bunt, and then run to first. I mean, nobody's going to get them. 
And so if, uh, if, he, if he's in that situation where he can do that, uh, then, yeah, I mean, I think you have to, depending on the situation and depending on whether or not you have the fortitude to be able to stand there and, and make a good bunt before you move, uh, then, then I should, uh, then, then I, I would do it. But you're right it, about, you know, I never liked to bunt for hits uh, because, A, there was never a shift like that, and, B, it would have killed me to, you know, when I could hit a double or a home run, it would have killed me to bunt into an out. I, I mean, I just... I didn't run that well. I would have to be. I would have had to spend a lot of time perfecting being a perfect bunter, and uh, so I, I didn't do that a lot. But I guarantee you, if there were nobody on one side of the infield, I would be moving the ball in that direction some kind of way. I mean, it just it just does it. It makes me crazy for you know, for guys not to do that in the right right kind of situation. Yeah, at least it looks like Lomo is, he's squared up a couple balls here in the last couple of days, so it looks like he might be headed toward uh, the right side. On the on the Houston Twin Series in general, Judd and I have done a lot of comparing to last year's May series at Target Field. Three-game series, Twins gave up like 40-plus runs, and uh, the bullpen gave up almost 30 runs in nine total innings, and it was an utter disaster series. And I know that we're talking about small samples early in the year, but it feels and like this. About, and about 50 degrees, but yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a million. Yeah, but it feels like this Twins team measures up better than last year's Twins team. Bullpen, lineup, confidence, Max Kepler. Like, there just seems to be a little bit more punch against the Astros. Is it fair to say that? I think it's absolutely fair to say that. I, 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 think, I think it's fair to say that we'll all be very, very surprised if what we've seen so far from it, 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 the performances of starters, bullpen, offense, defense uh, is not characteristic of the way they're going to play this year, I'd be I'd be very very surprised. It, it's possible that it won't happen that way. It's possible that uh, that guys won't have good years at the plate enough enough of them at the same time. It's possible that the the bullpen is kind of fluky so far possible that the starter you know that odor is is not you know as tough as he as he looks like he, he's been but i just don't think so i i think what we you know with you know with a nod toward the fact that things will happen in streaks good and bad i think generally speaking we're you know to you know to paraphrase um, denny green i mean i think they are who we think they are <laughs> at, at what, what point roy uh, do we Get concerned about Buxton. It's you know we're we're too early for that right now, uh, but how much time do we give him before we say okay? Because you know I, I think we all thought that the second half last year was a turning point for him. At what point do we have to start to regroup on that and get a little bit concerned if he doesn't get to two hundred? Well, I think it's more important that um, that James Rousen and and Byron uh, get concerned about it before. You know, before we do, at least in terms of you know doing some things that will have that will lead to different results. You guys know what I think about Byron's hitting mechanics. I, I think yes. that I think that there it's it's difficult to uh, hit in the big leagues with the way he goes about it, and um, and he has been able to hit his entire uh, minor league you know careers. It, it, because of that talent that he has, and and there will be pitches that show up 
uh, for him that are uh, that he can handle. You know, and when he can handle them, you know, really great things happen. There's so much life and strength in, in his bat, and and so you know, all those good things are, are going to happen. But to be consistent and not have a 180 first half and a, and a you know, and then have to hit like crazy like he did last year in the second half. In my opinion, my humble opinion, you know, some, something has to change a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, it's early and we shouldn't be, you know, concerned and we probably end up, will end up not, you know, end up being just fine. But I've, I'm always concerned about it just because I, I, I look at his, his mechanics and I think, you know, that's going to be really hard to hit that way. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what what do you see with Sano? We've talked a lot about his strikeouts, and he does have uh, he he is at least hitting some some doubles and home runs, but that's an obscene amount of strikeouts, and it seems like he's just giving up anything away and anything up. It doesn't seem like he's quick enough to catch up. Um, I don't know. What do you see with him? Though so his his swing is similar to Buxton's in that it's a little bit from you know low to high. It's the launch angle stuff. And the reason that he's has trouble on pitches away and breaking balls and all that is because he's jumping out there early. He wants to con- he wants to make contact with the ball out and out in front of him and, and pull the ball. And um, again, he is so talented and so strong. There are going to be 35 pitches minimum that show up that will end up over the fence. Can't help it. He's going to see. I don't know. He's going to see 2,000 pitches. Uh, you know, 35 of them are going to are just going to be there for him to hit over the fence, and he won't. You know, he will do that. Maybe, maybe more. Um, you know, for him to be as as good as he can be, that's got to change a little bit. That strikeout's got to change a little bit. But it's not. He's striking out for a reason, and the reason is uh, that he. It was a perfect example. The the, the other. I, I don't. I forget which game it was. Whether it was yesterday or the night before, I was watching. And he got a count to three and two. He's taking sliders away and and fouling pitches off and fighting. He gets to three and two, and I thought to myself, he's going to let fastballs creep in there. I mean, there's no way they're going to throw him a fastball. I mean, they don't have to because he you know, fastball creeps into his mind, which means I got to be in a hurry. And they flipped a little slider, you know, down and down and away, and and he missed it by three feet. And and it's because. <laughs> He, you know, he hasn't been willing to, you know, wait a long time and hit the ball, you know, over the center field fence instead of everything, you know, trying to hit everything to, over the left field fence. In again, in my in my view, so he's going to be fine. He's going to hit 35 home runs. He's going to drive in 100 runs, I think, uh, because guys are going to be out there and he's going to have enough opportunity. But you know, it, it, what it, it will not be until he. Until he learns to use to use the whole field with that strength, so that he's waiting longer and not striking out so much, then it's not going to be as good as it can be. He's got he he has awesome talent. It's he's 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 standing in his own way a little a little bit in my view. Right. Uh, all right. We'll see how many games the Twins get in this weekend. It's uh, it's the exactly. winter that never ends. Man. Saturday is going to snow what six in- inches, yeah. I believe, Roy. So I, besides, that'll be great. <laughs> I, you know what? And and rain all day. You know, tomorrow. I mean, I, I I don't mind telling you guys, I'm psychologically damaged now by this weather. It's it, well, you're not the yeah. only one. No, it's it's absurd. And I get it. We all make choices. We've all chosen to live in Minnesota. But come on, like it's middle of it, April. It's baseball season, Roy Smalley. Damn it! Give yes, us. Yes, it is. Uh, give me fifty degrees. I don't even need gorgeous weather. Give me forty-five. You know what? You 
know how bad it is when uh, the guys yesterday, I don't even know how much, what the temperature was yesterday, but they were all saying, God, this feels great out here. Like, yeah. oh, man. <laughs> for, old, for, for an old California boy, that's, that's hard to take. Here's an experiment for you this weekend. Go find Dave St. Peter, and uh, if you want to drive him absolutely crazy, <laughs> ask him if they've considered moving the games to U.S. Bank Stadium. <laughs> I've re- Yes, I've followed uh, some of uh, Dave's uh, comments on various places about that. Maybe I'll do that. That's how, that, that would be give me something to look forward to this week. Yes, go troll him. Bold right. North, Roy Smalley. It's the Bold North. We'll see you later. <laughs> see you. Bye. All right, Roy Smalley He's from right. Fox He's Sports North. thousand percent right. It's ridiculous. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. These men are consummate snowball artists. Mackey and Judd. Is this true? Yes, it's true. On 1500 ESPN. Twin Cities businesses join the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society for the 28th annual Dress for LLS this spring. Thursdays in May, businesses across the state will be coming together to join LLS in the fight against blood cancers for a minimum donation of just $5. Participants earn the right to dress casual or in a company theme at work. The top company will receive a bowling party at Park Tavern. Not so bad. For more info or to register, visit 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events. All right. Yep, the twin. How about that? Jim Pete and Smalley. That's a Same good hour, hour, man. That's a heck of an hour of radio. It's a good you. hour. In fact, if you're if you if you're just getting in your car, you're just listening, and dang it, I've missed the Mackie and Judd show today. And uh, don't really miss Mackie and Judd. <laughs> well, <laughs> Jim Pete and Roy Smalley. If you only have one hour that you can consume, go back and listen to hour three, Jim Pete and Roy Smalley. Uh, yeah. I love that this twins team has we talked about it earlier in the show, but I just love that they have a bunch of guys in the lineup that can that can move the chains, that can put balls into play, put balls over the fence. I mean, Logan Morrison's starting to wake up a little bit. He's had a couple nice, solid ringing uh, you know, line drives, and, and he's putting the bat on the ball a bit more. And I really like that Max Kepler has seemingly started to figure things out, and mm-hmm. his strikeouts are down again. It's the start of the season, and the weather's cold, and, and we can't take everything as gospel. But I love the signs the Twins are showing early on. What do you see when, when it comes to... Uh... Mauer, what do you see as the biggest difference here in the last, well, now it's been probably about a year or so. But, I mean, this was a guy who who three years ago would go into cycles, would go months where he looked good, like he'd have a great May, and then it would cycle back down. As a guy who who covered him at his best, what do you see now that's brought the consistency back? Mauer. Because he, again, looks really good. Well— and it's been it's been a long time now. I would say for one, consistency in baseball is really really hard to obtain mm-hmm. unless you're a great player. And so there's there's some players that you'll look at their careers in some months they'll they'll have a 250 average and a 675 OPS and then other months it'll be a 1000 OPS or whatever and it's pretty shocking how flatline Joe Mauer's numbers have been. Not flatline like dead, although they were for three years. They That's were like what I'm saying. they were like corpse flatline. Now they've gone back to being what you saw for several years. Are you asking like are I'm you saying, asking why he's better now than he was two years ago? I'm, I'm saying why why is he back to being the consistent player that, that he was when you were on the beat? Um I would say his strikeouts seem to be coming back to where they were before um, he moved to first base. I mean, he although his strikeout rate spiked a little bit when he was still catching, but he's so far this year. I think he's walked twice as often as he has struck out. But again, it's like two weeks of baseball. Um, maybe there's an element of him hitting the ball in places that aren't shifted aggressively too. 
they worked they worked on that for a while him trying to pull the ball more but yeah it feels like he's hitting the ball in places that aren't just fly balls to left and ground balls to right it feels like there's right two or three more areas and maybe we can just go you know look at a spray chart and prove that and then i know that he's gone th- he never talks about injuries this and th- this is why it's hard to figure out joe mauer because he just doesn't like open up and he's been around for 15 years and who really knows him like does anyone really know who joe mauer is he's just like a really nice guy and he and he likes uh, Land Lakes milk. Like, you know, what do we know right. about him? Um, I know he's gone through periods in his career where he's been grinding injuries, and he hasn't talked about what the extent of those injuries are, knee, back. It feels like the Twins have done a really good job keeping him fresh throughout the season. He's not going to be a 155 or 160 games guy. And you're right, but a, a good job at it last year. But you're over, right. like, they tried to play him a few years ago, 155 games. Remember that? Like, his, he was just yes. going to get out there, and his numbers suffered, and he was like a 265 hitter. I think he's the type of guy that just needs 25 days off. He just needs, like, 25 days off throughout the course of a season or more DH days. And so does that keep him fresher in August and September? Does it keep him fresher once the season's three months old and you're kind of crawling toward the All-Star break? Probably. But the difference between a 265 hitter and then I, I would, I'm, I'm using batting average because it's just the most mainstream thing. But like the difference between a 265 hitter and a 315 or a 300 hitter, isn't this drastic gap of like 50 hits over the course of a year? It might just be like a hit, a hit a week. If you just feel better in a game because you had an off day and you got 25 off days and you just happen to feel better once a week and you get an extra hit because of it. That's the difference between your average being 265 and 300. So that might play into it too. Interesting, because yeah, I mean you. You now look at his at-bats for the last, I would say, year, and they're back to being that consistency because that's what you didn't see. For a three-year period or so, you would see him struggle in April, hit line drives again in May, and I think that there were a couple times on this show where we said, "I we think he's back, and then June 15th would hit and the decline. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right, too. I think the fact that the new administration came in and said, you're not playing as much. Because before that, Phil, I think they basically would go to Joe and say, can you play? And Joe would say, oh, sure. And and I want to say, and, and we talked to uh, Paul about this in the offseason of 2016 into 17. And he made it very clear there's a plan now. Yeah. And that might be the most important thing is that they, they don't go to him now and say, can you play? They essentially say, we've got a plan and here's when you're going to be playing. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, well, two things off what you just said. Number one, he had 31 more hits. So he played in almost the exact same number of games, 2016 to 2017, and had almost the exact same number of plate appearances from, from 16 to 17. He had 31 extra hits in 2017. The season is 25 weeks, 26 weeks. So it's a it's literally like a hit a week. He's an extra hit a week, and boom, he's a 305 hitter instead of a 261 hitter. The other thing is on the rest and and the new front office and Paul Molitor doing a better job of like, like he played he played in 141 last year three years ago it was 158 mm-hmm. um I think old players in all sports it's not that they lose the ability to be great or to 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 dial in for a game or for a moment Kobe Bryant dialed in for 60 points to end his career he could still go out and perform at a triple double level when he was 35 36 years old off Achilles. The difference is he can't do it every night or on back-to-backs. You can't do it for six months. Joe Maurer for 140 games at first base when the catching grind is you know off your back too, 
he can still hit 300 over the course of a season. But if you were to give him those extra 20 games and put him behind the plate again, like zero chance, (laughs) zero chance. And now I get it. He didn't play 160 when he was behind the plate, but that extra grind over the course of 135 DHs makes a big difference. So it's, I think, recognizing that he's just not going to be able to do it every single night for six months and, uh, and, and, and just getting out in front, allowing him to rest. And, like, not mocking him when he needs to rest. If he's great for 140, right. that's better than him being mediocre for 158 like he was three years ago. Um, Dave, you got some questions for us when we come back? I do. I do. I have something about the Wolves, something about the Wild, and something about a former Minnesota Viking. Right on. Hi, I'm here on USPTO. It's almost the end of the year, and if you don't put me on a timesheet, I will be gone forever. Use me or lose me. Let's get away. It's getaway time. Get our best deals of the season on a new Hyundai. It's your journey. Own every mile at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now, get 0% APR for up to 36 months, plus zero payments for 90 days on select Hyundai vehicles. Hurry to your local Hyundai dealer today. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offer ends 1323. Call 1-562-314-4603 for complete offer details. Everything's getting more expensive these days. Gas, rent, and even your music. While other music services keep jacking up their prices, Live One is letting you lock in the best music membership at the best price. Live One Plus is just $3.99 per month. Get all your favorite music ad-free, along with unlimited skips and maximum audio quality. Beat inflation with the best deal in music at just $3.99 per month. Visit liveone.com slash best music to get Live One Plus now. As fall fills up with activities and obligations, even a small time saver can feel like a big help. Grammarly is an all-in-one writing tool that makes clear, concise communication easier than ever, so you can finish your work earlier and head off to family dinners, social events, and fall weddings. Grammarly is free to download and works where you do, so every project gets finished quicker. Make sure your writing is free of mistakes with Grammarly's free comprehensive writing suggestions and get an instant take on how your message comes across with the free tone detector. Let Grammarly Premium's sentence clarity rewrites help you find the perfect words on the first try. You'll be confident writing client emails, deadline-driven reports, and presentations without staying late at the office. Get more time back in your day by writing with Grammarly. Go to grammarly.com podcasts to sign up for a free account. Then get 20% off when you're ready to upgrade to Grammarly Premium. That's Grammarly.com slash podcasts. 